0: hello everyone what is up welcome back to another episode of killer instinct you guys if you are new here hi my name is savannah and i am your host of killer instinct before we get started make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button that way you never miss an episode we post weekly here on the podcast every wednesday and then again every thursday on youtube as well and you're not going to want to miss it today you guys we have a wild one. And I feel like I say that a lot and I mean it every time, but this one is going to blow your mind. Today we are talking about the Allen murders. These murders consist of greed and theft and incest and brutality. So we're going to jump right on into it today. Now, how we're going to work this case is we are going to basically explain the whole family tree and kind of work our way down from there. So we are going to start with Leander Bradley. Now, Leander Bradley was born on October 25th, 1913 in Indianapolis, Indiana to his parents, John Bradley and Viola Bradley. Leander had four siblings named Mary, Paul, Ralph, and Beulah, all of which to have passed away at this point. And Leander actually served in the U.S. Army, so he was a veteran, and in 1948, he married his wife, a woman named Betty Beaver, who then became Betty Bradley. Betty was born on June 10, 1929, in Brown County, Indiana, to her parents, Ernest Beaver and Sarah Beaver. Betty had six siblings Herbert, Robert, Charles, Margaret, Marion, and Ernest. However, unfortunately, all of them also have passed away by this point now betty and leander actually ended up having two children together they had a boy and a girl their boy's name was ronald bradley and then they also had a daughter sharon k bradley sharon was born on december 15th 1951 in indianapolis indiana more specifically marion county Leander and Betty raised their kids there, and according to Sharon's brother, they were very, very close. They were a very tight-knit family. They went to church every Sunday. They had family dinners. They had the very idyllic family upbringing, and they had an abundance of love and support from their parents. Now, let's talk about Sharon for a moment. So Sharon got married and had her first child when she was 24 years old, and her first child was a son named Kenneth Lee Alan. Now Betty and Leander were thrilled when they found out they were going to be grandparents and Ken spent a lot of time with his grandparents. They always were up to watch Ken and when he came over they always had toys for him and made him snacks and watched movies with him. So Ken was Sharon's first child and she actually didn't end up having her daughter until 11 years later. Sharon ended up naming her daughter Carrie. So now you had Ken and Carrie and there is an 11 year age gap between the two of them. And Ken and Carrie, despite their age difference, they also had a very close relationship growing up. Ken was always very protective of Carrie and they were always doing things together. They were always playing together, despite their age differences. I know sometimes when siblings have a very big age gap, they don't want anything to do with their younger siblings, but that was not the case for Ken and Carrie. And so Sharon, her husband, Ken, and Carrie all moved into this house together. And it was after Carrie was born that she Sharon and her husband started to have some problems. They were constantly arguing over finances. And when they moved into this new house as a family of four, they quickly realized that they were not going to be able to afford the house they were living in, which in turn caused a lot of stress, which turned into tension, which turned into arguments. And it ultimately led them to getting a divorce. Now, when the two of them went through a divorce, They did something that was a little unusual in terms of having custody of their children and how that was going to work. They actually did it kind of parent trap style if you've seen that movie because what ended up happening is once the divorce was finalized, Ken ended up moving to Florida with his father and started a whole new life there and Carrie stayed with her mother in Indianapolis. So the siblings were now completely split up and living their lives with either their mother or their father and that was really the end of it. The divorce happened when Ken was 14 years old and when Carrie was three years old. So to have Ken have to uproot his entire life at 14 years old, now live without his mother or his sister, start a whole new school with a whole new group of friends and trying to just acclimate to that as a 14 year old was very, very traumatizing to say the least. Now, for Carrie, it was difficult as well, but obviously not in the same ways because she was only three years old. She now didn't have a father. She really didn't have a brother, and she was just living with her mom and really leaned into her mom because of that. People who knew both Sharon and Carrie said that Sharon was very overprotective of Carrie. They, like I said, had a very codependent relationship, and despite the fact that Carrie was getting older, she was moving into her teenage years, Sharon did have a tendency to still treat carrie as if she was still a three-year-old little girl and so because of that carrie also experienced some bullying and harassment at school from kids who would poke fun at her at her not being treated her proper age Now, as far as Ken goes, after he graduated high school, he was actually on the track to living a somewhat normal life, so to speak. He got married, he joined the Marines, and he was actually able to reconnect with some of his family members that he was taken away from when he was 14 years old, and that included his grandparents, Leander and Betty. But not everything was all smooth sailing for Ken, because he actually ended up getting arrested and charged on two separate occasions with battery. He also was arrested for forgery and theft, and this was a result of his gambling addiction. While Ken was in the Marines, he did get really involved in gambling, and he quickly became addicted, as many do, and his life began to revolve around it. According to Ken's uncle, Ken was terrible with money he would receive a paycheck and immediately the same day go blow the entire paycheck gambling and once he realized he was all out of money he would then go to leander and betty and ask them to write a check for him and that really became a cycle because leander and betty loved their grandson and they wanted to be able to provide for him and help him out wherever they really could so they did get in the habit of giving ken money so that was really the cycle that was happening and that ken became used to but the problem here is that when Ken would ask Leander and Betty for money, he would say that it was for groceries or rent or some necessity that he needed. However, he would then take their money and then go gamble that all away as well. So Ken really never had any money because he was constantly blowing it. And this all really caught up to him because Ken was actually arrested and sent to prison for 20 months after he was charged with stealing credit cards and fleeing to the state of Arizona, which is where he was arrested now once ken got this sentence and was sent off to prison this is where everything really started to crumble for him because his wife once he got there ended up divorcing him and his grandparents leander and betty at this point realized that they were being used in ken's game they were a pawn in his game they were a little puppet he was a puppeteer the whole thing so ken's grandparents were over it they were sick of it and they said no more so, they reached out to Ken and told him they would no longer be giving him money, and they were really just cutting him off completely. And this was not what Ken wanted to hear. He was absolutely furious. And part of the reason he was so furious about this is because he knew that Leander and Betty had money. They had about two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars in their savings, and Ken wanted all of it. He felt entitled to it. He felt like that money should be his. So once he heard that his grandparents were cutting him off, he couldn't wrap his head around it. Now, after Ken was cut off by his grandparents, this is where he went a different route, and he started reaching out to his mother, Sharon, and his sister, Carrie. Now, mind you, Ken did not have a relationship with his sister and his mother. It was strictly after his grandparents cut him off that he decided that he needed another outlet to get to what he wanted, so he tried to rebuild this relationship. He would have phone calls with the two of them while he was in prison and pretend that he really just wanted to rebuild that family connection and wanted to get the family back together, but that is not what he wanted at all. After slightly rebuilding the foundation of their relationship and after, you know, a couple phone calls had gone by, Ken had told his mother and his sister that he had come up with a plan that would lead them to a better life. He said that he figured out how they could live a great life. They wouldn't have to be suffering. All their finances would be taken care of, but he couldn't tell them the plan while he was in prison. He had to wait until he was released and then he would explain the plan to them and they could move on and have a great life all together. So after 14 months in prison on November 15th, 2004, Ken was actually released on parole. And when he was released, he then moved back to Indianapolis and moved back in with his mother and his sister. Carrie and Sharon were living in a two-bedroom apartment, so Ken just moved right in with them and he didn't have any money. He didn't have a job, but like I said, Ken had a plan. Now, what is this grand plan, you might be asking, that Ken came up with? Well, he decided to tell Carrie his plan first. One afternoon, Ken pulled Carrie aside and told her that Leander and Betty had over $200,000 saved in the bank. And in order for them to be able to get access to that over $200,000, they were going to need to kill Leander and Betty. Now, Carrie was 18 years old at this time, so she was legally an adult, and now her brother is coming back from prison and saying that they need to kill their grandparents for their money, but Ken was a very charming person. He was a very charismatic person. The better way to put it is he's probably a very manipulative person, and he knew how to get what he wanted, and when he told Carrie this, he explained it in a way that he knew she couldn't say no to. He explained it that they were going to have this great life with their mom, they were going to be able to rebuild their relationship, have the life they never had growing up, and Carrie was all in. So Ken tells Carrie about the plan and she is in. She is ready to stand alongside her brother and carry this out with him and help in whatever way she can. But Carrie was not the only person a part of this plan. The other person that Ken wanted involved in this was his mother, Sharon. So after speaking to Carrie, Ken then goes over to his mother, Sharon, and tells her the plan. Tells her that he wants her to help him kill her parents for their money. Now, like any reasonable person, Sharon says, you are out of your mind. I am not going to kill my parents and neither are you. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? And that was on December 30th, 2004. So Ken has this conversation with Carrie carries all in then he goes over has this conversation with his mom his mom says you're out of your damn mind so now ken realizes that he can't go through with this plan if one person is in and the other is out because if he goes through with it, obviously Sharon's gonna know that he was the one that killed her parents and his whole gig is gonna be up. So after speaking to Sharon and realizing that she was not going to be in on this, Ken then went to Carrie that same night now when he pulled carrie aside for the second time he told her that sharon was not interested in being a part of this plan she thought that they were absolutely insane and so ken then proposes to carry a new plan and this new plan is that now not only were they going to be murdering their grandparents but their mother had to be murdered as well. Ken explained to Carrie that there was no way that this plan was going to be pulled off if Sharon was alive because she was going to know that Ken and Carrie were responsible. She was going to rat them out to the police, and in turn, they were not going to be able to have this fulfilled life with all this money that Ken had promised Carrie. So Carrie was a little bit skeptical and a little bit hesitant, but not hesitant enough for this to stop her. So she agreed to help ken in the murder of their mother at about 9 p.m that night again december 30th 2004 ken and carrie went into the living room while their mother was asleep in her bedroom they turned on the tv and raised the volume real loud so no one would be able to hear and then they walked into her bedroom Ken then straddled over his mother while he placed a pillow over her head to smother her and then pulled out a knife in the back of his pocket and stabbed her face through the pillow multiple times until she was dead. Now, this entire time, Carrie was standing in the room watching her brother brutally and viciously murder their mother. Now, once Sharon was officially murdered, Ken and Carrie then walked into the living room. They sat on the couch and poured each other a glass of straight vodka and just drank it. Now, it's unclear what exactly transpired in the moment leading up to this. However, at some point, Ken and Carrie then walk into Carrie's bedroom, which again, shared a wall with Sharon's, and proceeded to have sex. Which, in case you weren't clear enough already, is incest. And not only just incest, as if that wasn't bad enough. They were having sex with each other while their mother's dead and murdered body was in the bedroom right next door. So after they had their moment together, they then went into Sharon's bedroom and picked up her body and placed it in the bathtub of her bathroom because now they had to figure out what on earth they were going to do with her body in order to dispose of it. They then tried to map out an entire plan together as to how they were going to perfectly orchestrate this, and that included Ken calling Carrie's school and saying that she was going to be out sick for a couple weeks because she's not feeling good, she has some sort of illness, and so that gets them off the hook with the school systems and then their plan continued a couple days later on january 5th 2005 ken proceeded with his plan by calling his grandmother betty once he got on the phone with betty he told her that his mom really wasn't feeling well and asked her if she could come over and help take care of his mom which is Her daughter. So Betty, without hesitation, says, I will be right over there. So she gets in her car and drives over to the apartment. Now, Ken meets her at the front door to let her into the apartment. And while Betty walks in, Ken then comes up from behind her and places a plastic bag over her head, suffocating her. While Betty was being suffocated to death, Carrie just stood in the corner of the living room and watched the entire thing and once betty was officially dead ken and Carrie then carried her body over into the bathtub where sharon's body also was So now they had both bodies in the bathtub until they figured out what they were going to do with them. So Ken then decided that he needed to go to the hardware store. So he goes to the hardware store and purchases very extra large trash bags as well as a chainsaw. Once he got back to the house, he then went into the bathroom with Carrie where the two of them proceeded to dismember both their grandmother and their mother. Ken's job was he did the chainsawing and the dismembering, and then Carrie would bag the body parts and then place the bags in Ken's truck. Now, after putting the dismembered body parts in the truck, Ken and Carrie then grabbed their grandmother's car keys from her purse, got in her car, and drove it over to their grandmother's home that she shared with her husband, Leander, to carry out the final part of their plan. Once they got into the house, they realized that Leander was in the back bedroom taking a nap. Mind you, Leander was 91 years old at this time, so he's in the back bedroom taking a nap and he was napping for several hours while Ken and Carrie sat there and waited for him to wake up the entire Finally though, Leander did wake up from his nap and he walked out of the bedroom into the kitchen where Ken was waiting for him with a hammer. Ken then hammered his grandfather over the head multiple times until he was dead and then him and Carrie took the body and placed it in his bathroom and just left him there. Now after murdering Leander, Ken and Carrie basically just moved in to their grandparents' house with their grandfather's dead body in the bathroom. They just moved in, brought all of their things over, and immediately Ken wasted no time in transferring all the money from Leander's bank account into his own. And once that happened, Ken wasted no time in spending that money. Ken went straight to the casinos to go gambling, and within about a period of four days, he ended up losing about $60,000. Now, while Ken was on his gambling spree, Carrie stayed at their grandparents' house, and she used Ken's laptop to start joining all of these different chat rooms, and she started talking to different girls and had them come over to basically just hook up with them. And little did these women know that Carrie's dead grandfather was in the bathroom the entire time. Not only dead grandfather, Carrie's murdered grandfather, who she murdered... Was in the bathroom the entire time while these other women were over carrie was not paying mind to it at all now finally when ken came back from his gambling spree he realized that it was now time to fully dispose of all of the bodies and so what they did is they also dismembered leander's body but then ken went out and purchased a jackhammer now what ken's plan was with this jackhammer is that he was planning on going into his grandparents basement and this basement had a cement floor and ken's plan was basically jackhammering a very big space in the middle of the cement floor placing the dismembered body parts in the cement floor and then filling it up with fresh concrete after that then him and carrie were just going to leave And that is actually exactly what he did. He jackhammered the floor, he placed the body parts in there, poured it over with fresh concrete, and then stole all of the valuables in his grandparents' house, including jewelry and credit cards and things like that. Carrie and Ken threw it in the car with them and then made their way to Las Vegas. But that is when their plan went horribly south. Before we move on any further, I want to take a second and thank our sponsors for today's video. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? so on february 8th 2005 ken and carrie were driving west on interstate 70 through saint charles county missouri and there was a deputy sheriff named anthony hodgesick and he noticed ken and carrie's car was speeding at the time and changing lanes without a blinker so he decided to pull them over it's really crazy that what ended up getting them caught was just simply speeding Now, once the deputy sheriff pulls over Ken and Carrie, he then proceeds to ask for both of their IDs. And while Ken hands over his, Carrie, on the other hand, does not have one. She says she doesn't have an ID, but that she is Ken's sister and that they were driving to Vegas. Ken then went on to tell the sheriff the entire story of how they were going to Vegas to start a new life and that everything was going to be great and sorry for speeding, it won't happen again, but the sheriff wasn't fully convinced. He then asked Ken and Carrie to get out of the car, and when he did that, he searched the entire thing, and he ended up finding the IDs and credit cards of Leander and Betty. After that, the sheriff then went to the trunk of the car and found pillows and jeans and blood-stained sheets. And along with that, he also found a satchel with a large amount of jewelry in it and a purse containing lots of money. And the sheriff became very concerned about Leander and Betty's well-being. So he immediately contacted the Indianapolis law enforcement and asked them to go and do a welfare check on Leander and Betty. Indianapolis Police Department said no problem. They went over there, they knocked on the door, and even though no one came to answer the door, everything looked fine, so to speak, so the officer just left. However, then the deputy got in contact with him a second time and said, no, 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 you need to actually go into the house and you need to see them for yourself and see if they are okay. So the officer then goes back to Leander and Betty's house and he's banging on the door. He's not getting an answer. And while he's doing that, a neighbor of Leander and Betty's actually comes out and walks over and says that there has been some strange activity going on the past couple weeks at this house. And this neighbor, lo and behold, was actually a locksmith. So he was able to open the door using his locksmith tools and able to let the police in now mind you while this is all happening carrie and ken are still on the side of the road with the deputy sheriff they have not gone anywhere they are still pulled over and the deputy is on the other line with the indianapolis police department and the specific officer who is in leander and betty's house so the officer starts walking around the home doesn't see Leander and Betty anywhere, and then ends up going down into the basement where he saw fresh concrete, and it all just kind of hit him. He ended up calling the sheriff and letting him know what he saw, and Ken and Carrie were arrested. Now, before Ken and Carrie even got to the police station, before they even got into their interrogation rooms, before any of that had happened, Carrie immediately starts talking. She told police that Ken had murdered her grandparents and their mother and that their bodies are hidden beneath the basement floor. So she basically gave them both up automatically. It did not take long. And when they were brought into custody, Ken really doesn't lie about anything either. At first he didn't really wanna talk, he wasn't saying much, but then he confessed to everything. He also took blame for everything. He said that Carrie had nothing to do with it. She was just kind of a pawn in the game. She wasn't responsible for anything. And this was all for Carrie to get a better life. He even said in the interrogation, quote, "'If there was to be a charge brought up, "'it would definitely be me instead of her,' unquote." Basically saying that he was going to take responsibility for any charge that came at either of them. Now down the hall, Carrie was also being interrogated. She told police that Ken told her what the plans were and that she went along with it, but felt bad agreeing to it. But she said that Ken was painting a picture of a perfect life that the two of them could live and that she didn't want to live poorly anymore. Then after Carrie was questioned, they actually brought her into the room that Ken was at and they allowed the two of them to sit across from each other. While they did that, Carrie basically apologized to Ken for giving the two of them up, while Ken said, don't apologize for anything. You did nothing wrong. I'm so proud of you, things like that. And then the two of them gave each other a hug before they were separated. Now, Carrie was arrested and charged for conspiracy to commit murder and was sentenced to 40 years in prison. And she's actually eligible for parole in February of 2024, which is in Two years, which is honestly really scary to think about. You know, I think that obviously she was persuaded throughout all of this. However, to sit there for three murders, to be involved in the dismemberment process of your mother who raised you, as well as your grandparents, is it takes a certain type of evil to be able to do that. So the idea that she's able to get out in two years is terrifying now as far as ken he's charged with three counts of first degree murder and is sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole so he is never getting out but carrie again probably will Now that you guys is the case of the Allen family murders, And I cannot wait to hear what you guys have to say. I can hear your comments now and I just can't wait to read them. So let me know what you think down below. And with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Again, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here on the podcast every Wednesday and then again, every Thursday on YouTube as well. And you're not going to want to miss it. I'll be back next. Next week with a brand new case for you guys and until then stay safe bye guys